some glad morning when this life is o'er, fly away. Good morning, everyone. If you stand up, the singers may come up here. It could happen. Come on, singers, I have free ice cream cones up here for you. Okay. Pick your flavor. That's right, you're singing today too, Paul. <laughs> In the name of the Lord. Here we go. Sing it like you believe it. There is strength. want to say amen to that? Amen. amen. Thank you. Please be seated. Hey, yay, we get Jasper back today. Come on up here. Let's give Jasper a hand. Thank you, Jasper. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. To our guests, if this is your first time, welcome to Tusa Mountain Baptist Church, and we encourage you to fill out our registration card. For our announcement, mark your calendar for this upcoming event. Number one, Elwin's Joy Card Making on July 7th, Homeless Ministry on July 8th, and WMU Ladies Retreat on August 18th to 19th. And once again, we encourage you every Wednesday night, we're going to have a Wednesday night service, okay? Shall we pray? Father, we thank you, Lord, for sending your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who died on the cross on our behalf, that we might be justified and set free from the punishment of sin. And as we worship you, Lord, this morning, we ask for forgiveness. And we pray, Lord, that our presence will glorify you, will honor your name, Lord. And we pray that we will bring comfort and joy to one another as brother and sister in Christ. Help us, Lord, to fulfill your command to build up one another in love and in faith as one body of yours. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. It's so I had such a good time fellowshipping with people this morning. I tell you what. Oh, it's so good to see so many faces out there, and I got to meet some new people. Who got, meet, who got to meet new people this morning? Yeah, yeah. You know why? Because they're here. <laughs> I met them. I met Sandy back there. Hi, Sandy. I met Don and Terry. 
David. Oh, yeah, David, right. Don and, I, knew, I thought it was two Ds, Don and David. Like David, I was saying, David wrote the psalm, right? I will awaken the dawn with my praise. That's, I'm going to remember their name because of that, probably. All right. It's so nice to see so many uh, loving, joyful, worshiping, encouraging faces out there and the people that go with them. Yes. John's parents, yes, I've met them many times. They're here, and John is going to be leading our special today because you're probably going to hear, but um, this is John and Brandy's last Sunday. Everybody say, We're going to miss you guys so much, I'll tell you. But we're going to praise God that he is leading you on to serve him in new places and and use you for his glory. And we've been so blessed to have you here. Uh, singing and playing. Virginia. Uh, he doesn't know. They're just, they're, <laughs> but they're leaving soon. Uh, he's going to Virginia to a new military job. So, yes. All right. Um, our, our theme this morning is in Christ alone. And if you read through the New Testament, especially Paul's writings, you'll hear about us believers, children of God that so many times we are in Christ, and that's what gives us forgiveness and eternal life and the the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, because we are in Christ. He has taken our sin upon himself and given us his righteousness through faith in his death and resurrection. Amen? Amen. All right. So um, our scripture today is Philippians 2, verses 9 9 through 11. For this reason also God highly exalted him, And bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Amen. Now, because... Our life is in Christ, and in Christ alone we have forgiveness of sins, eternal life, and the power of his Holy Spirit to strengthen us to live for the Lord every day. We're going to sing this song, Bless the Lord, O My Soul.
Musicians, aren't you? I'm also thankful. Amen. Let's give them a hand. You know, we are fortunate. We don't we don't have Katie playing the bass today, but we got a, a lot of the other instruments, and we can praise God without instruments at all, right? Just with our voices. God has given us our voices, but He's also given us instruments and some people the ability to play them. And I'm not one of them. And I'm so thankful for people who can read music, write music, play music, understand music. Because it's like, a, it's like you know, uh, I kind of catch on to some languages okay. Because they kind of seem there's some familiar things. But it's like for me, French it sounds like zui, zui, zui. That's all they say. <laughs> I can't get it. Music is like that to me. I, I just, I don't understand it. But I feel it. And I can sing it. And, and, and I, and. And I do write some songs. We've sung a couple of them, whether you know it or not. It's probably better you don't. But um, we might grab a tambourine. But being thankful for the people who can write those songs and play that music. Yes. And Shanna, if it wasn't for Shanna, we wouldn't be singing any of the songs I wrote. I'll tell you that because I play them, I sing them for her, and she just plays it like she has written music. It's amazing. God's given her such a talent. But. Um, I'm so thankful for, for our instrumentalists, and I'm so thankful for our singers and our technicians that do things behind the scenes that you don't realize how, how good they are at doing it because it, it doesn't sound bad at the moment, but they've worked through all that during practices and everything, you know? So I'm so thankful for that. And, and for people throughout history that have written songs for God's glory that we, that we sing, uh, and we may forget sometimes where they came from, but some of the old, old, old songs, you know, like the old... Uh, Irish uh, hymn that uh, ended up being um, Be Thou My Vision. Love that one. You know, old, old Irish song that ended up being in our hymn book. 
And some of the new songs that people have written, you know, you can tell how old you are if one of your songs you've written is in our hymn book. Right? You mean like yours? <laughs> uh, <not> yet. <laughs> as, our, as I said, our theme this week is uh, in Christ. Mine is not in the hymn book. Probably never will be. In Christ alone. Let's sing. Powerful, powerful song. Give glory to God. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my life, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground. Found through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace. When fears are still. song encourage your heart in Christ alone who took on flesh fullness of God in helpless faith this gift of love and righteousness scorned by the ones he came to stay
Amen. What a joy to come and have music playing and hearts worshiping and fellowshipping together. It's a rehearsal for heaven. Amen. All right, and it uh, surely strengthens us to face another week down here on this earth, doesn't it? That's right. As we pray for one another, but when we meet together and encourage one another, it is such a blessing. All right. Oh, yes. Our, our, we're going to do a special, and John is going to play and sing the, the uh, verses, and we're going to uh, just do the chorus because none of us can sing as fast as him. <laughs> our God is an awesome God. When he rolls up the sleeves, the ancients putting on the ritz. Our God is an awesome God. There's thunder in his footsteps and lightning in his fists. Our God is an awesome God. Lord, he wasn't joking when he kicked him out of Eden. It wasn't for the reason that he shed his blood. His return is very close, so you better be believing that our God is an awesome God. Our God is an awesome God. Starless in the void of the night, our God is an awesome God. He spoke into the darkness and created the light. Our God is an awesome God. Judgment and wrath He poured out on Sodom. Mercy and grace He gave us at the cross. I hope that we have not too quickly forgotten that our God is an awesome God. Our God is an awesome God. He I need to do a little house cleaning, housekeeping before we get started here. Some of you, <clears throat> a lot of you, at least 17 of you that I know of, because I got the phone calls, texts, or emails, uh, we have been hit with a phishing scam. Um, it's came through some of your emails, some of your text messages. Um, it is a phishing attempt. That did not come from me. I do not have a Gmail account, number one. Number two, the church does not have a Gmail account. Uh, it will always be TucsonMountainChurch.org, and that cannot be duplicated, to the best of my knowledge, um, without some other attachment to it. Uh, the problem is uh, they're asking for gift cards. Now, we have been, Bill uh, Gates and Paul DeGrandChamp has been working on this, this happened late Friday afternoon uh, or evening. And the issue is there are two organizations that they have identified that are now doing online attacks to churches and religious organizations. This is going to become more and more of a problem. 
so you guys need to be made aware of this. If you go to our website, TucsonMountainChurch.org, and look, there's a notice on there about this situation. Also, I'm going to read just what they put on the website briefly. Uh, this phishing attempt has been reported to the FTC, CISA, and Google and other uh, media entities. Here are some steps you can take to help keep your online presence as safe as possible. Learn more about these types of scams if you go to gift card scams online. As much as possible, enable two-step verifications for your various online accounts. Please verify someone's identity before making any profile changes that would affect your login process. This includes emails and phone numbers. Whenever possible, use a phone call for verification of individuals sending you messages that don't seem right. That is what a lot of you did with me. And, and I apologize, I could not talk to some of you yesterday. I was doing a wedding on the east side of town. And, and I, I felt really bad because I had to text people back uh, or voicemail people back and say, I can't talk to you right now, which was the way that phishing scam started out, right? Um, but, it, but that one was the truth, unfortunately. And, but I told him, do not respond to that. If you get that, just delete it. Don't even open it. Don't touch it. Just delete it, all right? Because you don't want them getting your information. I did ask Beth if she would check all our bank accounts and make sure that nothing has been touched or moved. None of, to the best of my knowledge, no one's personal information about anything financially is missing, gone. There's no money changed, nothing, okay? Um, but we're going to watch it diligently from here on out, uh, especially because this particular instance took place. But we've always watched it, but now we're going to watch it even closer. All right? I want to give you guys that assurance. All right, so good morning, Tucson Mountain. Good morning. There we go. All right, now we'll get into the groove of things. I asked a question on your outline this morning. Why should a church grow numerically? There's a couple of side questions. Can a church grow too much? Should there be a limit on numerical growth within a church body? Matthew 13 says this in 31 and 32. He, Jesus, told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in this field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and perch in its branches. This obviously implies growth, does it not? He's talking about growth. Jesus expects his church to grow. It's not about when the church, one church puts on a better show than another church, and those church shoppers go to that other church. That's not the type of growth he's talking about. There's three different kinds of growth here. You know, the problem is a lot of pastors today, some of them are basically just uh, simply keepers of the aquarium. They're just swapping fish sometime. Here's the thing. There's biological growth. That's when our children grow up within the church, but they reach that age of accountability, and they're able to make the decision for Christ themselves, and, and they do that, and they become a part of that membership. There's also transfer growth. That's when members of one ship transfer their membership from the previous church they were at to the church they're uh, 
a part of now. That's transfer growth. But then you have conversion growth. Conversion growth is where non-Christians, non-believers come into our midst and they have decided to accept Christ as their Savior and they make that decision and they're baptized and they become part of this membership or this body of believers. That's conversion growth. There are six biblical reasons that we're going to cover this morning that I believe is absolutely necessary from a numerical standpoint that the church never stop growing. We have clear instructions from Christ about this, and we see it. It's a mandate. It's a mission. Matthew 28, 19, and 20, Jesus said, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Listen. We're to make disciples, we're to mark disciples, and we're to mature disciples. Make, mark, and mature disciples. By making them, we basically just win them to Christ. We win them to Christ to the point that they're willing and able and prepared mentally, physically, and spiritually to become a Christian. The second thing is then we baptize them. That's marking them. They're marked as a Christian and part of this body of believers through that baptism. But they're marked more than that as a Christian believer of Christ. They're God's child. Then the third thing we do is we mature them. He says we teach them to obey everything that he's commanded us. We help them understand. We help them grow and flourish. Listen, Jesus commissioned every single one of us through the great commandment and the great commission. Every single follower is to reach out to others and present him to them. Now, we can't force them, but we need to at least give them the opportunity to make the decision. Acts 1.8 says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. Jesus said, listen, I want you to start right where you are. You're in Jerusalem, start there. Listen, we're in Tucson Mountain community. We need to start here. Then he says, go to Judea. It's a commandment. Are we doing that? To ignore Hawaii, do you realize that most of those people will die without Christ in their life? Do you realize where they're destined to go because of that? Scripture says there is eternal punishment for those who die without Christ, but there's eternal reward for those who die with Christ. Craig brought it up. You know, Christ is in, we're in Christ, but more importantly, Christ is in us. Amen. Matthew 25:41-46 says this. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for you, prepared for the devil and his angels. Now look, we have to remember this. Hell was not originally meant for us. It was prepared for the devil and his angels. But guess what? Because of man's sinfulness, some of them get to go too. For I was hungry, 
and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord. Now, this is a key point. When did we see you? You need to underline that you or highlight it or circle it. When did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, Jesus said this, I tell you, now he's turning it back around. He says, I'll tell you the truth. Whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Very clear cut, very direct. Listen, that should motivate us to never stop reaching out. I believe it's selfish for a church not to want to grow. A church that focuses only on itself and not the needs of those outside the church, especially the spiritual needs of those out in the world, has lost its purpose. It's just become a social club, and that's dangerous. Yes, more people coming are going to cause more problems. Yes, more people are going to cause more frustration. Yes, it's going to cost more money. Yes, it's going to be inconvenient. There's going to be more conflicts. All those things are an absolute truth. But you know what? We need to be willing to accept the responsibility and the hassles of making sure we tell the rest of the world what we have. We need to be willing to deal with those things. Look at what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.14. For love, Christ compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. Listen, I do not believe God created ever created a person that he did not love. He loved each and every person he's created. Because God cares, we need to care. We need to make sure that God's love is the motivation for our church growth. Love of God and love of other people. Look at what 2 Peter 3.9 says. The Lord is not slow to keep his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. It's always God's will for people to be saved. And know Christ, his son, is their savior. But God gives us the freedom to choose to grow or not to grow. Just like he gives them the freedom to choose to accept Christ as their personal Savior or not to accept Christ as their personal Savior. He does not force us to do those things. God's not satisfied with only a few people knowing them, though. He wants everyone to know him. That's why he sent his son. There's one clear illustration of this that is really, really good. Luke 15, 4, Jesus said, Suppose one of you had a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? Listen, Jesus said outreach and evangelism is so important that he was willing to leave the 99 and go look for just the one. 
as long as there's one person out in this Tucson Mountain community that doesn't know Christ, we should be willing to still go out and reach them. He goes out to find them, too. He basically puts together a search and rescue party, and he goes. Now, there's some things that we have been struggling with since the pandemic, and I understand that. We were struggling with them before. A lot of areas are closed to us. You have gated communities. You have places that have signs that, you know, private property, do not enter. You have other things where people say, you know, don't come a knocking type thing. Well, we've just launched a new process. We've tied in with an organization that is now sending out postcards in our area, in particular postal codes around us within about a five-mile target area. I told you guys I was planning this, so I'm going to tell you what I did because I spent some of our money. Not a lot, but a little. A little over $100 a month or under $100 a month, I think. Um, out of those postal codes, there's about 110 to 125 new move-ins each month. They will all now get a postcard from Tucson Mountain Baptist Church once they move in. That says, you know, moving is hard, but finding a new church is not. And then there's a bunch of other little blurps on the back about some of the ministries and some of the opportunities we offer and what time we meet and a number to call. Not a, not a text message. <clears throat> Listen, it would be unloving for us not to share what we have to share. How would it be if I had to cure for cancer and I said, okay, I'm going to share it with everybody in here, but I'm not sharing it with anybody else. That would be one of the most unloving things I could possibly do. It'd be selfish and hurtful and harmful. We don't want to do that. To know and keep the precious gift of salvation that God has given us, we need to be able to share that with others. We can't keep it under wraps. And to refrain from sharing that good news with others, it invites God's judgment. Look at what Ezekiel says in 3.18. When I say to a wicked man, you will surely die, and you do not warn him or speak out to dissuade him from his evil ways in order to save his life, that wicked man will die in his sin, and I will surely hold you accountable for his blood. The Bible says that I'm not only responsible, but now I'm accountable. We need to think about that a little bit. We have to be able to get the message out for other people to have the opportunity to accept Christ as their Savior. Number three, Jesus, Jesus himself believed in church growth. We know that. We see that. Matthew 16, 18 says, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Listen, building is a term that implies development, expansion, and growth. And the growth agent there is Jesus. It's his church, after all. He makes references, and I've given you a whole bunch of scripture references for this. He makes references 
about expansion and teaching in the world today in all these passages. Matthew 5, 5, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. He's talking about expansion. He's talking about the whole earth. In Matthew 5, 13 and 14, you are the salt of the earth. And he's talking to us. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything. Now pay attention to this. It's no longer good for anything if it's not salty. Stick with me for a few minutes. I'm going to give you something else here in a moment. It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Some of you have made the comment to me and said, on this very platform, some of you, that we want to be the city on the, or the church on the hill. If we're going to be the church on the hill, then we've got to start shining our light a little brighter. That implies universal growth. Matthew 8, 11 says, I say to you that many will come from the east and west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. All those people that are going to one day go into the kingdom of heaven are going to come from everywhere on the earth. Matthew 24, 14 says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. There's a key to that. We're going to see it in a minute. Matthew 26, 13, talking about the woman who anointed Jesus, says this, I tell you the truth, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, again, the message has to go out throughout the world. What she has done will also be told in memory of her. Jesus intended for there to be disciples, disciples everywhere, worldwide. We must be committed to the same vision Jesus is committed to. Jesus used that growth terminology and, and, and imagery throughout all of his word. Think about this. Farming was an occupation that easily identifies with that. So we see it very, very well in Matthew 13 and the parable of a sower. You remember that story? Real briefly, the parable of a sower is the fact that the sower is sowing the word of God. And he's got four different kinds of soil that that seed is going into. But that last soil is the best soil. It's the soil that is the most fertile and is accepting that seed. And if you go on and you read the rest of that scripture verse, it says that it yielded a hundredfold of that seed. Now think about this for a second. In Palestine in that day, and in this day, a hundredfold is just unheard of. It was miraculous. But yet Jesus says that that's the kind of growth we should expect if we plant God's word. And some of it's going to go into fertile soil. Luke 13, 6 and 9, Jesus points out to the fig tree. And he says, you know, that fig tree is designed to produce fruit. If it doesn't produce fruit, it's just taking up worthless space. He says, cut it down. My question and my thought process when I read that again this week is, if he says that fig tree is just taking up space, cut it down and be done with it, do you ever wonder if he takes a church that says that church is just taking up space that needs to be cut down? 
because it's not doing what it was designed to do. Repeatedly, Jesus revealed his purpose was to bring others to the Father. Luke 19.10 says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. Listen, if we're going to be like Jesus, we have to be willing to seek and save that which was lost. Jesus answered them, it is not healthy. It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Listen, Jesus' focus was primarily on those individuals that he knew and they knew and understood they were sinners. They didn't think they were better than everybody else. They didn't think they didn't need Jesus. They understood they were sinners and they were in need of salvation. At the great banquet, the parable of the great banquet, it's a great illustration of Jesus' inclusivity and his invitation to all the world to accept him as Savior and Lord. Think about this. The king sends out the messengers, uh, messages and offers the invitation for everybody to come to a great banquet, but nobody comes. You think our king is looking down and wondering what's going on with some of that too? Luke 14, 23 says, Then the master told his servant, Go out into the roads and country lanes and make them come in. He says, Compel them to come in. So that my house may be full. Christ wants heaven, his home, to be full. He doesn't want it to be half full. He doesn't want it to be three-quarters. He wants it to be full. Listen, we have to remember that. And we need to be working towards that end because he calls us to do that. The fourth thing, the nature of the church implies growth. It's the very nature of the church. Colossians 2.19 says, He has lost his connection with the head from whom the whole body supported and held together by its ligaments and its sinews grows as God causes it to grow. Listen, it says the church is his body. It's not a business. It's alive. It's not an organization. It's a living organism. The whole body is perfectly fit together. Each part is doing its special task. When each part does its special task, it grows and it becomes a healthy body. But when those individual parts do not do their particular task, it's not as healthy as it could be or should be. That's what he's saying. Listen, the number one characteristic, the number one evidence of life is growth. Do we want to be the church on the hill? Do we want to be the church that is growing and has life? I think when a church is not growing, you have to ask the right question. And the right question is this. What is preventing the church from growing? And what can we do about it? I think those are the two right questions. When we can identify what is preventing the church from growing and we can remove those barriers, then I think natural growth will start taking place. 
Now, we have been growing, not by leaps and bounds, but in spurts. I believe that one of the tasks of leadership is to identify and anticipate those, strings that, those things that restrict growth and try to remove or mitigate those things as much as possible. And then the church will grow pretty naturally. Number five, the New Testament demonstrates numerical church growth. Over and over again, we see it. Starts in Jerusalem, Acts 1.15, and some of these verses we've covered before. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group of numbering about 120. So in a day, a day and a half, in Acts 2.41, it says, those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to that number that day. That's awesome growth for a couple of days. Amen? Do you realize I figured this out? You got these 11 apostles, they're there, and Peter's given his message and those guys, if they baptized all those folks in one day, they'd have had to baptize, if they split them up evenly, they'd have had to baptize 273 people each. You think they were busy? Acts 2.47 says, Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That means that at least 365 people were being added a year. 5.14 says, nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. There was some being added again every day. 5.28, Peter and the apostles were taken before the Sanhedrin, and I still love this one. And I wish this could be said about us. We gave you strict orders not to teach in his name. He said, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. What a testimony. The church had grown so much because of the message of the gospel of Christ that the apostles were giving out that it completely penetrated Jerusalem. Acts 6.1, the first part says, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing. 6.7 says, so the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. And a large number of priests, now, they're, now the priests are coming. Praise God for that, right? Became obedient to the faith. Acts 21, 20 is approximately 25 years later. Now, grasp this for a second. A quarter of a century later, <coughs> excuse me. When they heard this, they praised God. Then they said to Paul, you see, brother, how many thousands of Jews have believed and all of them are zealous for the law. Listen, tremendous numerical growth had happened in that 25-year, quarter-of-a-century mark. And many of the scholars believe it was more like tens of thousands, and perhaps, and I told you this early on, perhaps as much as half of the city of Jerusalem had come to know Christ as their Savior. That's what made those Sanhedrin leaders say, you have filled Jerusalem with all your teaching. Number six, the fulfillment of prophecy demands church growth. Listen, Matthew 24, 14 says this, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony 
to all the nations, and then the end will come. Now, I want you to process this for a second. One of the prerequisites for Jesus' return is that the spread of the gospel will go throughout the whole world. Part of the fulfillment of the prophecy is that there will be numerical growth in the church before he comes. There's a lot of speculation about the timing of this, the various signs. Some people point to the earthquakes, the pestilence, the famines, the wars, the Romans wars, all those things. But you know what? Jesus said the one specific thing that was going to happen and had to happen was that the spread of the gospel would be to every corner of the world. Then he would return. You ever think about this? Every time another person is brought into the kingdom of heaven, we draw closer to Christ's return. If we really want to hasten the second coming of Christ, then we need to get busy. Right? It's our duty to tell others about Jesus. When Jesus, when Jesus was asked this, when are you going to return? He would answer and say this in Acts 1, 7, and 8. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times. He said, that's none of your business, basically. Know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. There's some arguments, unfortunately, that come out about from certain people about numerical growth. And I've heard all three of these, and they, Pastor Jay did too, and, and they frustrated us and aggravated us and, to no end. The very first one is God isn't interested in numbers. Really? This argument implies that anybody that is interested in numbers is doing it for egotistical reasons. And it's really, it's, if, you, if you're interested in numbers, you're not very spiritual. I believe this has no real basis. Do you realize some Christian comedians have said that God is so interested in numbers that he's even named a book after the Bible about the subject? Mm -hmm. Several times in the Old Testament, God gave specific instructions for people to be numbers. If you go back and you look at Genesis and Exodus and read some of that, you'll realize that when they left Egypt, they were numbered. They took a census. When they all got to the promised land, they took another census. Now, why did they do that? I don't know. Maybe they want to see how many people were lost along the way. I don't know. But they did. I had somebody ask me one time, we were talking about numbers, and they said, well, what about David's sin of numbering the people in 1 Chronicles 21? Listen, David's sin was based on the motivation not of taking the census, but it was, it was not about the evil of counting. It was his motivation of why. David placed his pride and security in the number of the people. Our, our security is to be in God. Not in the number of the people. In the New Testament, we find many illustrations talking about the stories of numbers. Think about this. 
Fishermen would count their fish. Shepherds would count their sheep. Businessmen would count their profits and investments. The king would count their soldiers before they went into battle. And the builder is told to count the cost before building things. So numbers are important. Jesus saw that there was nothing unspiritual about counting our numbers. Think about this. You only have to ask this one question. We covered the parable of lost sheep. How did the shepherd know there was a, a, was a lost sheep? He had to count. But his counting was not out of pride or ego. It was out of concern. His counting showed that he valued the life of that one sheep. And he cared about that one sheep. So much that he was willing to go find that one sheep. Rather than being something unspiritual, that counting was an act of love on his part. It showed that he cared deeply. Luke 15, 7 says, I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous persons who did not need to repent. You ever think about that? Every time someone repents and becomes a member of Christ's family and God's family, and the kingdom, there's a party in heaven. Do you realize that means somebody up there is counting? Somebody up there is keeping track. Why? Because every number represents a person, and every person represents a soul. That's why. The second thing I've heard before, is our church wants quality, not quantity. Now, I think this is a, just a superficial false argument because there's, there doesn't have to be a conflict between size and character. When they say that, they're implying you can't have both. My question is, why not? Quality and quantity don't have to be enemies. While it is true in some cases that bigger is not always better, they don't have to be opposed to one another. As a pastor, I don't want to have to choose one or the other. I want both, and I do want both. Mark 1.17 says, Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. Let's think about fishermen for a minute. How many fishermen do you know? And I know some of you are sitting here. How many fishermen do you know... When they come back from a fishing trip, say, well, I just wanted the best fish in the lake or the best fish, period. They don't say that. How many fishermen do you know say, well, I didn't really count how many fish I caught. It didn't really matter. They don't do that either, right? Listen, a fisherman wants to catch the best fish, and he wants to know how many fish he caught. They want both Quantity and quality. What if you're a parent? Let's think about this. What if your parents had one child and they said, you know what? We're just going to raise this kid to be the best quality kid we can. We're not going to have any more. Some of you wouldn't be here. Let's say you're a parent and you have three kids. 
and you go camping. And you're out there, and all of a sudden, all three of the kids are gone. You've lost your three kids. The wife looks at you and says, uh, we got to go find the kids. <laughs> so you go to your search and rescue mode. You're out there looking to seek and save that which is lost. And three hours later, you come back to camp with one kid. And you look at the wife and say, you know what? I think what we should do is just take this one kid and, <laughs> and make the best quality kid we can. <laughs> you wouldn't do that because you were compelled by love to go look for the other two. We go look and find and seek and save that which is lost. Love compels us to keep on searching. The third thing I often hear is this. Large churches are impersonal. My answer to that is they don't have to be. Listen, statistically, they say the average church member knows about 55 to 60 people. Okay, stick with me for a second. It doesn't matter if the church has 50 people in it are 500 people in it? Are 5,000 people in it? Doesn't matter the size of the church. They can only keep up uh, even, a, even, a, even a casual relationship with 55 to 60 people. So what does that mean? That means that you don't have to know everybody, but you do have to know somebody. So what do we do? We can grow larger and smaller at the same time. How do you do that? You do that through small groups. Some of you are already migrating that direction, which is excellent. I love it because that's how it's supposed to work. The simplest solution to maintaining a strong fellowship is to maintain a strong small group network. It's a simple structural um, um, strategy to help do that, to organize that. A large church doesn't necessarily make it unfriendly. It doesn't make it any more unfriendly than a, than a, a, a small church makes it friendly. And I've been to some unfriendly small churches, and so have some of you. Listen, we can do both, all right? Size has nothing to do with friendliness or warmth. There's five things that we all can do to help our church grow. And I've listed them there for you. The number one is ask God where he wants me to serve. Ask him to give you an understanding about what your task and function is in this body of Christ that you are in right now. Ask him where you fit. And if you don't know where you fit or you'd like to know more about where you might fit, come sit down and talk with me. We'll figure it out together. I don't have all the answers, but I can help. Okay? Ephesians 4.16 says, For him, the whole body is joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. If we're not doing our task, if we're not part of the body of Christ, we're not helping it grow. That's, I'm just going to leave it there. 
Number two, pray for the growth of our church. Pray for all the leaders regularly. Pray that God will give us numerical growth, quality growth, quantity growth, spiritual growth, and physical and mental health. Number three, join a small group. Get involved. Like I said, many of you are already doing that. I, I see these things, and, I, and I, I'm just amazed that all this stuff is happening the way it's happening. And I praise God for it. Get in a small group that, so that you know other people and other people know you. Make a prayer list of people that you know need the Lord. Make a prayer list. Listen, you're not going to reach very many people unless you first get them in your mind and your heart. You've got to get them in your head and your heart. Begin to pray for them on a regular basis. And number five, ask God to help you bring at least one person to Christ in the next 12 months. This is a challenge because we are going to start a campaign, and this is a soft launch, if you would. Each one, reach one. And your whole task, your whole challenge is to invite someone either to a small group or to church. in the next 12 months. And you pray for that individual. You, you, you minister to that individual as much as they will allow you to. And you break down those barriers that we need to break down. And you soften your heart. And you love them into the kingdom. Bring a person to Christ. Pray for them on a regular basis. Pray this prayer. Lord, give me the privilege to bring at least one person to you. Just one. If you've already led someone to Christ and helped them come to know Christ, that's great. But my challenge to you in the next 12 months, till this time next year, God be willing, if I'm still around, that you bring at least one person to either come and be a part of this body of believers are to come and be a part of your small group that they come to know Christ as Savior and Lord. That's the challenge. Trust God for that one soul. Can you imagine what a privilege it would be if when you get to heaven one day, somebody walks up to you and says, hey, you know what? I'm here because of you. I came to know Christ because of what you said and what you did. You were so kind and loving and concerned, and you gave me a cup of cold water in Jesus' name. How heartbreaking would it be to realize that you had that opportunity and you didn't fulfill it? Let's pray. Father God, we know the only growth limitation we put on this body of believers and ourselves is the limitations that we put on ourselves. And Father, I pray that you would remove those barriers, those things that, that are preventing us from growing, whatever it might be. And Father, that includes me. If I'm the barrier, if I'm in the way, get me out of the way. I want your kingdom to, to grow and to flourish. And I want others to come to know you. I want them to come to know you in a personal way. 
that they'll be able to say, my God, my Lord, my Savior, my King. My prayer is that people in this area will be able to say one day about Tucson Mountain Church that they have filled this community with the doctrine of Jesus Christ. I believe if we'll do that, we'll be able to minister and reach out to many, many others. Father, I pray that as we adopt this philosophy and this, this theme for one year of each one reach one, that you will work in the lives of these individuals to draw them closer to you so that we will have the words and the courage to say those words to others to help draw them to you. Now, Father, if there's anyone here this morning that has not ever made that decision to accept you as Savior and Lord, I pray that you would touch their hearts this morning. Something that was said, something that was saying, that they would be willing to step out and share that with us today and just let us celebrate with them that they, they are coming to know you as their Savior and Lord. And if they've already done that, but they've never been baptized the way you were baptized, Lord, through immersion, we can arrange that for them. We offer them that opportunity also. And Father, is there anyone here that, that maybe has is, is, is been coming for a while and, and maybe they're a regular attender? And they are looking for a new church home. We offer them that opportunity also. We offer them the opportunity to become a part of this body of believers. There's a lot of good body of believers around, Lord. But we, we offer them that opportunity to join us this morning and be a part of this membership. Father, whatever your will is in individuals' lives this morning, I just pray that you would do that. And allow us to minister to one another in a way that would bring you the glory and honor that you deserve. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you can and would, stand please. Oh, to Jesus I surrender all to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust Him in His presence daily live. I surrender all. I
just waiting for Miss Brandy to come back. So hang on just a second. John, I'm going to ask if you'd step down here in front of the platform. She's got to gather up little Miss Alice. <laughs> our drummer, our newest yeah. drummer, that's right. <laughs> There's little Miss Alice. Daddy. She said, oh, I don't know about this. Listen, I, I know that John and Brandy have been a part of our family for a while now, but I want you guys to know a couple of things. Not only have they been participating in music, the music ministry, and Brandy's been working back in the, 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 the nursery, but they donated that playground equipment out there that is in the new playground area. And they, 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 didn't, they didn't want a lot of pomp and circumstance about it, but they, they, they took care of getting it down here. They got it from Phoenix and brought it in. And uh, they did the research on it, and there's some other things in the work that, even though they're not going to be physically here, they are physically a part of, and some things that are going to be taking place. So I just want to pray a prayer of blessing for them in their next uh, military installation <laughs> and your next assignment. And also, I want you guys, if you would, to just come by and shake their hand and wish them well as they leave, because you're leaving this week, right? Yep. On Friday, we hit the road. Friday. All right. So let's pray for them. Father God, I thank you so much for John and Brandy being a part of this family. I pray that wherever you place them next, that you would allow them to be the blessing for their new church family as much as they were for us. That they would be able to take their gifts, talents, and abilities and utilize them to serve others the way they have served us. We thank you for their faithfulness and their love and their concern. And we thank you for all the time, energy, and effort and gifts that they have given us along the way. And Lord, I just pray that you would watch over them as they travel, keep them safe, allow them to make it to their next uh, installation in a safe manner, and that the trip would go well, and that they would have a great blessing and a great time along the way. And we simply ask all these things in Jesus' name. As we sing our closing song, come by and wish these guys well. <laughs> she says, I don't think so, Dad.
God bless you. Have a great week. Don't forget to come greet these guys. And if there's someone here you hadn't met today, come and meet them. Some glad morning when this life is sore, I fly away.